I love uh, New Year. Um, normally, I uh, don't stay out very late on New Year's Eve, and uh, mainly because I just don't like staying up late, but uh, unless I have to. Uh, but I also like to get up early on New Year's Day and have a whole day just to kind of instill some new habits, kind of load the operating system for the year uh, into the computer, do the upgrades, and uh, be ready to hit the ground running on the first uh, full day of work. And um, and one of the one of the life verses for me is uh, from First John chapter three. So John three sixteen, but not the main one, the other one. First uh, John three sixteen. And uh, I'm just going to start reading in, in uh, John, First John chapter three, uh, verse one. Uh, what Mark? This is from the message, by the way. If you don't like the message, uh, my apologies. Uh, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us! Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously because it has no idea who He is or what He's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are: children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him and in seeing him become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming, stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus life as a model for our own. I, I sometimes can't resist the commentary during a scripture reading, which I know is a very bad habit. But uh, let me just throw in some commentary as long as I've interrupted uh, the reading already. Uh, I love, I, I don't know that the author's intent was to, 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 to produce a cause and effect here, uh, but he, he does stop and interrupt his own flow of thought in order to say, and in seeing him become like him, that uh, if, if we're struggling with Christ-likeness in our life, uh, we need to fix our eyes on him. We need to fix our minds on him. We need to see him more. I, I'm confident in this. And the more we see him, uh, the more we become like him. It makes sense that the only thing causing Christ-likeness in us is Christ in us. Uh, we don't somehow get zapped and, and become more like Jesus apart from Jesus. We become more like Jesus because Jesus fills us through his spirit. And, and so uh, I like this. Uh, it gives me a hope and a way forward uh, for, for improvement in seeing him. We become like him. All right, back to the text, verse 4. All who indulge in a sinful life are dangerously lawless. For sin is a major disruption of God's order. Surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. There is no sin in him, and sin is not part of his program. No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who do, pra who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. They've got him all backward. So my dear children, don't let anyone divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right who is right, just as we see it lived out in our righteous Messiah. Those who make a practice of sin are straight from the devil, the pioneer in the practice of sin. The Son of God entered the scene to abolish the devil's ways. People conceived and brought into life by God don't make a practice of sin. How could they? God's seed is deep within them, making them who they are. It's not in the nature of the God-begotten to practice and parade sin. Those who Here's how you tell the difference between God's children and the devil's children. The one who won't practice righteous ways isn't from God nor is the one who won't love brother or sister. A simple test. For this is the original message we heard. We should love each other. We must not be like Cain who joined the evil one and then killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because he was deep in the practice of evil while the acts of his brother were righteous. So don't be surprised, friends, when the world hates you. This has been going on a long time. The way we know we've been transferred from death to life is that we love our brothers and sisters. Anyone who doesn't love is as good as dead. 
Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know very well that eternal life and murder don't go together. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. When I was growing up, our church uh, in Pekin, Illinois, had a cabin at the district campgrounds of Manville, and that cabin was uh, what most, some would call rustic. Uh, it was really a dump. And it wasn't always in great repair because it was completely cared for by volunteers and that small group of people who really like staying there uh, during camp meeting. And, and uh, I'm sure that many times that cabin was filled up with people excited to hear Dr. Gary Ains at uh, camp meeting that summer. Uh, and they would use it at district assembly and then other little trips throughout the year. Uh, one year, I remember walking in as a, as a kid, my family would always uh, be there. Uh, my parents would have a bedroom in the cabin. I think there were maybe four or five bedrooms in this cabin. And, and uh, we would, my brother and I would just kind of land wherever on the campground we landed. Uh, it was the most freedom I ever had in childhood growing up, just uh, running crazy. We went and jumped off bridges off the highway, uh, tipped cows. It's amazing the, uh, the confidence my parents had that we were at church camp, so nothing bad could happen. Uh, but but uh, kids can always find that. That's a, I, I digress. Uh, I walked in, we walked in one year and uh, somebody had put up a sign that was handwritten, scrawled out and kind of angry Sharpie. You can tell uh, somebody's state of mind, somebody by uh, the angle of their letters. And I wasn't aware of that uh, at that time, but I knew when I looked at this sign, it was not written by somebody in a happy mood. And they had uh, pinned it to the inside of the door and it said uh, just a few words, this is God's property. Leave it better than you found it. And better was capitalized and underlined four or five times. Uh, evidently, somebody who felt some responsibility for that cabin had walked in and uh, seen it in disrepair and thought that somebody left it worse than they found it. In fact, over time, maybe enough people had walked in and left it worse than they found it, that it was uh, really experiencing some significant disrepair and disorder. And uh, they'd had it enough of that because when they looked at that cabin, uh, they saw it as God's property. And how do you treat God's property? Well, you ought, to, you ought to always be leaving it better than you found it and not worse than you found it. And I think when we read a passage like this in 1 John chapter 3, what we're getting from God is basically a, a sign scrawled out uh, in his handwriting and, and, uh, and hopefully taped, not thumbtacked, to uh, everybody's forehead that we'll ever meet. And uh, if we could envision uh, this sign hanging from the forehead of every single person we ever meet uh, that simply says, this is God's property, leave it better than you found it. I think we would understand the truth of 1 John chapter 3, at least these first 16, 17 verses. Uh, this, is, this is something that has uh, guided me, uh, not just with people, but with uh, realms of responsibility, uh, with, with uh, any, any, any uh, group I'm uh, responsible to serve, uh, when I go out and preach, uh, when I meet people in an airport, when I'm with, uh, in a restaurant and the service stinks, um, I always try to remember uh, somebody's got this uh, tattoo to their forehead. Somebody's got this sign on their forehead and God put it there. And God reminds me over and over again with this image that this is God's property. And my job isn't, isn't necessarily, uh, to, uh, my, my job definitely isn't to one up them. My job isn't to get out of them what I want from them. 
uh, my job is to leave them better than I found them. And if we have enough people in this world determined to go around uh, and everybody we meet, every project we're a part of, to leave the people involved and the organization we're serving better than we found it, uh, this world could get a lot better really quick. Uh, and I think uh, we do have a team like that that commits to that over and over again as uh, as we go through our work. Uh, something I want to, you'll hear me start to talk about, and I, this is uh, the beginning of a new calendar year, is a good time to start talking this way. And uh, just a couple of kind of guiding practices that, um, that at my best, um, I stay focused on. And uh, when I'm not at my best, I've drifted from a focus on these things. And, uh, and there's, so there's two things I want to introduce to you today, and then uh, you'll hear us continue to talk about this. So it's not like uh, you get it today and, and uh, you're never going to hear it again. Uh, but, but one is whatever it is that your, what is your, con your job is set up to make a contribution to uh, Nazarene Bible College and uh, probably a, a, a constellation of contributions that you make to Nazarene Bible College. Uh, but if you were to uh, look at the contribution that you desire to make this year uh, through your role, uh, what would be one way of measuring that contribution? Uh, and then uh, if you think about uh, how, how can I measure my contribution, uh, what metric can I use to say, is my contribution to, uh, am, I, am I leaving my area of responsibility better than I found it? Um, am I moving it the right direction? So, so how would you measure that contribution this year? And then once you've, once you've identified a metric uh, that, or maybe a, maybe a few metrics that, that uh, help give you a little bit of guidance on uh, whether your contribution is improving uh, your area of responsibility or the people that you're serving, uh, then, then you can take one step back from that and consider uh, what skill is it uh, that I need to improve personally uh, so that my contribution can improve uh, and improve this metric to this measurement that I've identified. And so usually if there's a, if there's a metric, a measurement that I'm trying to, to increase or improve, probably there is some, some kind of behavior or practice or skill on my part that if I improve it, it's going to tend to improve uh, the, the outcome and that metric, that measurement. And so uh, those two things I would want to just ask you about in your area of responsibility, the people that you're serving. Uh, you could think of this in terms of uh, the people you're serving. You could think of it in terms of the area of responsibility that you have. Uh, what is a measurement you'd like to improve in the coming season? And then what do you have to change about your own behavior in order to improve that measurement? Um, and so what skill do you need to get better at? And then here's the kicker. Um, what can I do? What can NBC do to help you get better at that skill? And I'd love for us to have some conversations about um, uh, not just working on the task, but working on our on ourselves, working on our people. Um, so if you identify this is what needs to get better, this is what I need to do better in order to make that better. Um, you need to have some allies and some supporters in uh, identifying a, a plan, an approach to uh, how do you get better at that skill? What do you need in order to practice that? Uh, one thing that um, I'm convinced of is that we, in most organizations, uh, we don't practice. Um, I was a DS for the last nine years. And um, uh, one of the things that would depress me on Mondays if I let it was that uh, I went back to the same churches uh, year after year after year, sometimes more often than that. 
and didn't see marked improvement in, um, in how things were going. Not every church, a lot of churches are doing all kinds of things, everything in their power to do anything better. Uh, but, uh, but then there are, there are places that kind of get, uh, kind of get set a little bit. And uh, instead of getting better, they, they're just, they feel like they're working overtime just to try to maintain. And in some cases they actually are. Um, and, and so there were, there were, uh, seasons where I thought, um, what are we doing to get better? Um, what are, how do we practice? And what do what do we practice at? Because uh, perfect practice practice uh, makes perfect. Not practice makes perfect. That's the old saying. But uh, really, it's perfect practice makes perfect. Um, and, and so I began to pay attention to uh, how many of my pastors were listening to other preachers throughout the week. Uh, you know, musicians listen to music all the time, and not just their own music. Uh, they listen to all kinds of music. They're connoisseurs of music. Uh, I was shocked to find out that many of our preachers don't listen to preaching and and don't uh, consume other pastors preaching throughout the week. And uh, that uh, that that surprised me a little bit. But then it also helped explain to me, well, maybe this is why uh, our people suffer through the same level of preaching, the same quality of preaching year after year after year. Uh, and then with age, you know, there's always things working against our quality. So if we're going to actually get better, we got to really do that on purpose. And then I, I began to pay attention to uh, how many pastors are listening to their own preaching. Um, how many pay attention to what they themselves are putting out there week after week? Do people have to listen to it? Uh, do they listen to it? And so I began to, to have that habit myself of listening to my own preaching and of listening to others preaching. And it was uh, extremely painful. It still is, by the way. Um, I don't preach every week now. And sometimes where I preach, I don't, it's not easy to get a recording. Uh, but when I do manage to get one, I'll go back and watch this later and I will uh, just kick myself for not being better scripted, for uh, not for doing what I'm doing right now and uh, searching for words. Uh, and that's that's uh, how we get better, though, is that kind of evaluation and practice of a skill. And so I, we found that when we place new pastors, if we would insist to them before they took the job that for the first year they watch every single sermon they preach or listen to every single sermon they preach, and uh, then and and do some self critique and and set out intentionally to improve their preaching. It was amazing by the time we got to the two year review how often unsolicited uh, people would volunteer comments about uh, how much better their pastor's preaching had gotten over the course of those uh, or since they arrived at their church from the their early days. Uh, so that's just kind of a probably a too long and drawn out example of identifying a skill that I can improve and having some sort of plan uh, for improving it. And really a plan of just simply just the act of listening to my own preaching uh, is a pretty simple thing, but it's, it's amazing. I mean, how in the world do you improve something if you don't watch game tape? Uh, can you imagine an NFL team or a, a, a baseball team that don't, none of who don't watch game tape, a basketball team, especially uh, they've got to watch the tape of the game in order to uh, to know what they need to improve on. And sometimes the players who play the game don't understand what went on in the game until they watch it on tape. Uh, they're the ones that lived it, but they don't understand what happened until they go back and look at the video. And that's uh, something I think we could uh, learn uh, quite a bit from. So I'm not I'm not uh, encouraging you to figure out a way to videotape yourself in action on the job. That's not the point of this. Uh, the point is to uh, to think about all right, the people I'm serving are God's property. Uh, how do I leave them better than I found them? Uh, the area of responsibility God has entrusted to me is his property. 
how do I produce a return for him on that investment and leave it better than I found it after this week, this month, this year, this uh, this career? And and then if I, I I believe if we can identify a measurement of that quality uh, and then ask ourselves, what do I need to do better in order to have a better outcome? What skill do I need to get better at? What behavior do I need to get better at? And then and then figure out what do I need to do to get better at that? And I want to be your ally in that. Uh, so let me just uh, tell you this. It's always dangerous to um, to introduce organizational values on the fly. But I just want to tell you, this is a personal value of mine uh, that I believe uh, one of the biggest no-brainer ways to help an organization get better is to invest in helping people get better. And it's not to say our people are broken or bad. It's to say that uh, here's our team. This is who we got. Um, and I think we have an amazing team and I thank God for the, the team that we have. Uh, but we're probably not going to go out on the free agent market and bring in somebody uh, who's who's going to take your place and do the job better than you. I believe you're doing your job really, really well. Uh, so the question is, uh, how do you measure that? And then what skill would you have to get better at in order to have a better the better outcome that you desire? Uh, this I don't think this kind of thing works if I choose the, the improved outcome, if I choose the measurement uh, for somebody else. I think this uh, works at its best if uh, maybe out of collaboration we come to it, or maybe it's just a personal desire. If you've got the personal desire to see a better result in this area and you can identify a personal skill or behavior that's going to improve it, then uh, then that we can work together and we and, and your supervisor uh, or I and I can be an ally to uh, to give you what you need to work with you on uh, what you need in order to, to improve that skill or behavior. Uh, so this is uh, this is not a polished uh, proposal uh, by any means. It's just something to kind of get us thinking uh, as we enter our areas of responsibility in the new calendar year. Uh, how do you measure success in your area? And then uh, what how, what behavior or skill do you tie that to? And how, how what's your plan for improving that skill or behavior? I know that uh, there are some companies. Uh, secular companies, not even Christian companies, who allow their people a part of a workday every week uh, away from uh, the productivity pipeline, so to speak, in order to work on either a special project or a special skill. And uh, that's something that intrigues me. Uh, if we're going to get better at something, we've got to devote some time to, to uh, practicing it and uh, working on it. And so uh, that's something I'd love for us in our teams to be thinking about. Uh, how do we um, how do we work at that? How, how is it as an organization, are we investing in uh, the continual improvement of our number one asset, which is our people? And um, I want you, if you're going to be with us for five more years or 10 more years or 15 more years, uh, to uh, be able to look back and say, uh, man, I'm really a lot better at this and this and this than I was uh, 15 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago. And I see that I've made a bigger difference in people's lives uh, because of it. And that's really where it's at, because it's it comes down to people. It's people that God has uh, scribbled out this sign and put it on their forehead uh, that, and told us this is God's property. Leave it better than you found it.